Welcome to St. James. Uh, glad you guys are here. A couple announcements as uh, people are still trickling in here. Uh, make sure you check out the notices in the bulletin. Read through all those if you would. Uh, so a couple things. First of all, tonight we're going to, uh, some of us get together at 530 and pray. You are more than welcome to show up at that. It's super casual and uh, you, don't have, you don't need to have anything prepared or anything like that. Just, uh, and you don't even really have to pray out loud if you come. You can just come and, and uh, pray silently with us if you'd like. Right after that at 6.30 is new members class. So this is the first time we're going to meet on this new class. And uh, there's a, a handful of you who are wanting to be there, which is good. Uh, you don't need to have let me know that you want to be there. If you want to show up and just hang out, or if there's uh, things about Christianity that you want to explore, or ideas that you uh, uh, got bouncing around in your head you want to share with us, uh, please feel free to show up tonight at 6.30. If if you let me know beforehand that you're going to be here, I will have already printed out for you the material. If not, it's not a big deal. But that's 6.30 here tonight, and everybody's welcome, 6.30 to 8. Uh, we're going to discuss tonight um, changing the time a little bit. There's a few people that are going to be in there. This, I, this is not for all of you, but for those of you who are planning on being there. There's a handful of people who are going to be in there for whom an earlier time would work. And so we're going to talk tonight about, uh, but we'll discuss that tonight. It might end up being like 6 to 7.30, but tonight show up at 6.30, and then we'll have that conversation this evening. Uh, this Saturday at March 26, uh, from 9.45 to 11 at the Planned Parenthood in Fairview Heights, um, a group of us are going to meet for a prayer vigil there. If you have any questions, if you'd like to participate in that, please get a hold of Pam Meister and her phone number's in the bulletin. Starting next week, uh, not this week, but starting next week, um, at the end of the worship service, between worship service and Sunday school, the, the elders and uh, some other people are going to be up front, and if you have something that you want the church to pray for, that if you want your Christian friends to pray for, to pray with you, to pray over you, uh, we're going to invite people after the service is over, whoever wants to come forward, and um, we'll be up here, and uh, we'll pray for you, we'll pray with you. Uh, we're going to start doing that next Sunday. So if that's something that you need, so James 5 talks about uh, the prayer of faith healing the sick. And so uh, like grasp onto that with boldness. God wants to answer our prayer. He loves us. He wants to take care of us. Uh, he wants us to be in his will. So if there's anything at all that you want to pray about or pray with others with, we can uh, have an opportunity after the service next Sunday for that. Okay, um, after... Uh, worship service this morning is, uh, remember we're doing a Bible study after worship service, so meet with us downstairs. Adults, we're talking about uh, Christian eschatology, the end times, and uh, the kids have Sunday schools for them, so meet us downstairs afterwards. After that, this the last thing I've got for you. After that, uh, youth confirmation will happen, and we'll get done around 12.30. I know the bulletin says 12.45. I'm going to change that to 12.30 today. That happens after this class, uh, after the Bible study, which happens after this worship service. Okay, now finally, one last thing. Macy Rambarger is going to come forward and talk to us about youth group business. Good morning, everyone. Okay, so we are having a fundraiser for the National Youth Gathering. We have envelopes in the back, and they have all different numbers on them. You can pick any envelope you want. Just put the money in it and return it back to us. And we just want to thank everyone who has already donated, and we are really excited for the trip. Thank you. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of 
Let's continue in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's confess our sin to God. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, be the God of your people today. We confess that we have worshipped too many other gods. We have devoted ourselves to all too many different values. Turn our hearts to you again. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, be the God of your people today. We confess that we have visited all too many sanctuaries. We have tried to find the sources of life in all too many other places. Turn our hearts to you again. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, be the God of your people today. We turn to you and to you alone to be our God, our only God. Forgive our sins. Give us spiritual integrity. Give us wholeness and holiness. Answer us in the name of Christ. For He has promised to intercede for us. It is in Him that we pray in the fellowship of His body. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the Gospel of Christ from John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Amen. Psalm 85, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before Him and make His footsteps away. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Old Testament reading is from Ezekiel chapter 33. So you, son of man, this is Ezekiel. Uh, God is talking to Ezekiel and calls him a son of man. So you, son of man, I've made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way. That, work, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his, from his way, 
that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus have you said, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? And you, son of man, say to your people, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses. And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall by it when he turns from his wickedness. And the righteousness shall not be able to live by his righteousness when he sins. Though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, yet if he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice, none of his righteous deeds shall be remembered. But in his injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, though I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. Yet, if he turns from his sin and does what is just and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has taken by robbery, and walks in the statutes of life, not doing injustice, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the sins that he's committed shall be remembered against him. He's done what is just and right. He shall surely live. And yet your people say, the way of the Lord is not just, when it's their own way that's not just. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. And when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he shall live by them. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, I will judge each of you according to his ways. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A super interesting text from 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the sermon hymn. Lord, from sorrows deep I call when my hope is shaken, torn and ruined from the Thank you. 
You may be seated. That was really rude. Actually, you know what? That's my fault. You can stay seated for the gospel reading. That's, that's on me. That's, you should, we all should have stayed standing, uh, which isn't in the Bible, of course. It's just respectful. So if you're okay with sitting, I'm okay with you sitting. If anybody's conscience is troubled and you want to stand, feel free. And if not, you can stay sitting, and that will just be totally weird. Okay. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 13. There were present, so remember Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the crucifixion. There were present at that very time, there were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Are those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered, the vine dresser answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So this gospel reading this morning, this is a little bit weird. Uh, the lectionary has our reading this morning coming the week after our reading for last week, which is actually after Luke 13 in the gospel reading. And the, the, the gospel reading last week is in many ways like an intensification of what Jesus starts to discuss here at the beginning of Luke 13. So it's a little funky, but there'll be a lot of overlap between what we talked about this week and what we talked about last week. So uh, if you were here last week, that's good. If not, I would suggest going back and listening to that sermon because a lot of what Jesus is doing is discussing what his, what his mission is. So J Jesus is on this mission, which we'll get to in a second. Not that you guys, most of you don't know what, what it is, but he's on this mission and it's kind of overlapping with the political aspirations 
of everybody around him and their friends and their cultural aspirations. And so he's constantly trying to challenge those goals and aims and dreams that they have with his mission, which is undermining their goals and aims and dreams, which, by the way, this is what Jesus' mission always does, is undermine our goals and aims and dreams. And so this sort of fits into that. And it starts off with these, this, these two stories that Jesus talks about. So people on the, on the road, Jesus is headed up to Jerusalem, and people remind him of this first story. of the, the What's it say in verse 1? The Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So Galileans up at Jerusalem, worshiping in the temple, doing sacrifices, and their blood, Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. This doesn't necessarily mean that they were actually at the altar doing the sacrifices in the temple when Pilate came in and killed them. It just means that they were there for sacrificial purposes, and and Pilate killed them. We We don't know why. We actually don't know what this story is about. This story is not referenced in outside, a lot of the stories like this are referenced in the outside literature, like Josephus, the great Jewish historian. Uh, This one is not, but lots of stuff like this is referenced. This is the kind of thing that, somebody was like, you're kidding me, like a Roman governor killed a bunch of Jews who were sacrificing and it's not mentioned anywhere? Well, it's actually, uh, not to be too crass, but it's kind of humdrum. It, this sort of thing happens all the time. Pilate had, done, Pilate had done this before. Josephus tells us a handful of stories of times when Pilate killed people. One, so I'll give you one example. Um, Pilate takes money out of the temple treasury. You know, so the Jews pay a temple tax every year. And it goes into the maintenance and upkeep of their temple. And that's their temple. The Romans aren't even allowed inside the temple, let alone dipping their hands into the temple bank account. Pilate... This is a couple of years before Jesus is uh, uh, executed. Pilate gets into the temple bank account and takes money out to build an aqueduct to provide extra water to the city of Jerusalem. And the Jews are furious about that, of course. And he ends up killing a bunch of them. This happens quite frequently. One of the big times when like, this sort of thing would happen would be at uh, Passover. Because, and, and hopefully... Well, this is hard for us, although easier for you guys, because I talk about this a lot in here. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard for Americans to get this because we're like, here's my religious life, here's my political life, and they don't have anything to do with each other. For the Jews, politics and religion were the same thing. They were the same thing. So there's this, so Passover was a classic time for revolt to build up. Well, why? Well, because you, all the Jews come to Jerusalem, and they come to the temple, and they're doing all these, like they're barbecuing meat and doing sacrifices and singing music and they're all together crammed into the temple. And the main theme of that week is God delivered us from the pagans of Egypt and he will someday deliver us from the pagans again. And if you're Rome, you kind of know that's what they're celebrating, you know? And so you gotta make sure that that sort of thing keeps calm because the Jews are kind of hyped up for like, let's go, let's do this thing. Let's go get Rome. And it would frequently happen that way. There's one famous story that Josephus tells. Um, The Roman governor, this is about 15 years after Jesus' time. The Roman governor uh, was a guy named Cumanus. And he he was the governor right after Felix, who some of you know, uh, Paul talks to Felix, the the Roman governor, in Acts 24. Cumanus replaced Felix. And um, uh, Cumanus very smartly had Roman soldiers uh, gathered around the temple during Passover to kind of, uh, you know, quell the riots that might be, be popping up. In fact, here, this is a little, uh, 
And again, I always I shouldn't apologize for this because some of you are like, oh, I really like the history stuff. And some of you are like, uh, that's boring. Just tell me what to do with my life. But, but the history stuff, actually, that's what, the, the whole the thing doesn't make sense without the history stuff. Um, Herod, when he built the temple, he built this big, beautiful temple because he wanted the Jews to like him. He built this, do you guys know this? He built this massive fortress right into the side of the temple. It's, he called it the Fortress Antonia. He named it after his good friend, Mark Antony, who he had fought against on the side of Augustus Caesar at the Battle of Actium several years before. He builds this big fortress, and the fortress is taller than the temple walls. And so the fortress walls are up here, and the temple walls are down here, and the Romans aren't allowed down into the temple precinct, especially during Passover. But they can look down on the temple precinct from the fortress Antonia. And the Jews hated it. They hated it because the whole time you're worshiping the God who redeems you from the pagans. There's Roman pagan soldiers marching around up above the wall as a constant reminder, intentionally on Rome's part, that we're letting you guys do this, but really we're in charge. Well, sometime in between 48 and 52 AD, when Cumanus is the, uh, the, the, the governor of Rome, one of the Roman soldiers decides it would be funny to moon the crowd that's worshiping at Passover. Which, so the Romans didn't care about nudity, you know? Like their public restrooms were, they didn't have gendered public restrooms. Most of them competed naked if they were doing any sort of athletic competition. They didn't care, they, their sexual mores were way left of ours today in our culture. They didn't care about nudity. The Jews, though, think like, the, like much of the population in the Middle East today. Very, very, you know, very, cover yourself up, that's what you do. And so they were horrified. And so they start throwing rocks up at these soldiers. And the, the, uh, uh, Cumanus starts to get a little panicky. And so he sends the, the troop of soldiers down to the, the, the portico of the temple just outside. And he tells them, like, draw your swords and be ready for anything. Well, if, if you've watched the news, you know that, like, here's a group of people who are already sort of keyed up. And then the military steps in and they pull their weapons. That's not going to calm anybody down. And so they get even more agitated and nervous. And the more nervous they get, the more nervous the soldiers get. And then there's panic, and the soldiers start swinging the swords, and the people start trying to crush to get out of there. And Josephus says about 15,000 people died on that day at, at that event. And it all kind of comes back to this tension between the Rome and the Jews. And so this sort of scene here that Jesus is talking about, it's, it's not mentioned by Josephus because he just doesn't have enough space to mention every time the Jews and the Romans got into a tiff about religious political things. Who's going to be in charge? Is Caesar Lord or is Yahweh Lord? Are we going to be free or are we going to be slaves? That sort of question is the constant background noise of the Jewish world of Jesus' day. And so, of course, and it all culminates in what Jesus is describing last week in the gospel reading and this week. At some point, you guys are going to go too far. You're going to press the button too hard And Rome's going to say, forget it with the battalion. We're sending a whole army here, and we are going to blow up Judea, which is what they do in AD 70. And Jesus warns them about that last week and and this week. So this is not anything new. And and Jesus says, well, do you think that, like, uh, well, one of the things Jesus is saying is this, is that, do you think that they were more sinful than you? Uh, No, unless you repent, Pilate and his, his lot are going to get you as well. You're not going to get away with what you're up to. It wasn't that they were really bad guys, and you're okay. God's going to let you get away with stuff. Pilate and Rome are going to wipe out the lot of you. 
if you don't repent and trust in me. That's the first thing he says. Well, it's, you know, they, they tell him this as a warning to himself, to Jesus. It's a little bit like, hey, king of the Jews guy, you know what Pilate does to people who show up and claim to be like anti-Caesar party? And, and Jesus turns it into a warning against them. You know, don't, don't worry about me. You need to worry about yourself. Pilate's gonna kill all of you at some point unless you repent. And, and Jesus brings up the second story here. Are those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Okay, so but we, don't, we don't know about this either. Again, 18 people dying from a construction accident is super sad, but it's not the kind of thing that Josephus is gonna write about you know, 50 years later. Uh, but Let me step back. One of the points I'm trying to make is this. Jesus is not talking about what, what does it mean when bad things happen to people? This is not sort of general and random. It's very, very specific to their political moment. The tower in Salome, do you guys know where Salome's at in Jerusalem? Is anybody familiar with that name, Salome? Jesus heals, in John 9, Jesus heals a guy at the pool of Salome. The pool of Salome, so, so Salome is a pool just south of the old city of Jerusalem. There's a guy on spring, and it feeds water through this tunnel that Hezekiah built, which if you go to Jerusalem, you can like tour the t- you can walk through the tunnel today. And, and the, the, it dumps water out into the pool of Salome which was like a water source for people in the city. And um, Josephus tells us that part of the old temple overhung the the pool of Siloam. And Jesus is saying is that this, is that if you don't repent, remember that story where that tower, that bit of masonry fell on those people in Jerusalem? Remember that story? If you don't repent, all y'all are gonna have towers all over Jerusalem falling on top of you and crushing you. All of you are going to be crushed under the weight of the rubble of Jerusalem if you don't repent. Jesus is prophesying AD 70. And it's, it's not some sort of supernatural thing. It's anybody can, with half a brain can see this is where this is headed. If we keep on rebelling against Rome, Rome is going to crush us. And just to pull in a theme from last week, if I can real quick, what Jesus is trying to get them to say is, let me take that for you. Let me go up to, Rome, let, let me go up to Jerusalem and be crushed by Rome for you. I'm willing to take the bullet. And if I die, if I let Rome kill me, you guys can go free because you can say, see, that was the, that was the revolution leader. And you guys can go, but you're not gonna be satisfied with that because they're gonna kill me and then you're still gonna want re- revolution because you still are convinced that revolution is the key to your personal happiness. That freedom from Rome is the key to your happiness. And until you abandon that dream and trust me for my way of being Israel, what awaits you is piles and piles of stone falling on your head someday. The pilots of the world slaughtering you in the temple precinct. That's where this is headed. Okay, what does this mean for us? So far, I've been talking about what it meant for the Jews of Jesus' day. What does this mean for us? So four things here, and this is gonna be faster than you think it is. First of all, God will not allow the humanistic systems of this world to, to, to last forever. God refuses to allow those systems that aren't his system to last forever. And that includes, well, more on that in just a minute. So look at verses six through nine, and we'll look at this uh, story Jesus wraps up with. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit in this fig tree. I find none. Cut the fig tree down. Why would it use up the ground? Why should it use up the ground? Jesus answered him, sir, let it alone this year. 
I said, Jesus, it's, I'm tipping my hand a little bit that. The vine dresser answered him, sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Okay, so they're having this conversation about the future results of their political violence. And then Jesus all of a sudden breaks out with this story about this guy who owned this vineyard. And, and for us, we're like, what in the world? Like, why are you telling stories about vineyards? But actually, Jesus is tapping into a deep story that's embedded in their psyche of who they are. Frequently in the Old Testament, more than a handful of times, Israel is pictured as a vine or a vineyard and God as a vineyard owner. I'll give you a couple examples real quick. The most famous one is in Isaiah chapter 5, where Isaiah says, this is God talking. He says, let me sing for my beloved, my love. This is Isaiah saying, let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. So God owned a vineyard, very fertile hill. He dug it, cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it to turn the grapes into wine. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now I'll tell you what I'll do to my vineyard. This is God talking. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down because the vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. What he's saying is this, is Israel's like a vineyard that God created and he wanted to, to, to bear this fruit, this, you know, this grapes and make beautiful wine. And God created this vineyard and then it would not bear the fruit that God was looking for. And so at some point, he just blows it up. I'm done with it. It's not doing what I designed it to do. I'm gonna blow it up. This is a common theme. So Psalm 80, same thing. I'm gonna quote for there. You, you, God, transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. This, this vine's branches reached as far as the sea. It shoots as far as uh, the river, that's the Euphrates River. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it. Insects from the fields feed on it. Return and repair your vine. So there's this hope that God's gonna blow the vine up, but God will someday come back and repair his vine and repair his vineyard and establish it again. But what I want us to know right now is that God is determined that any human system that does not bear the fruit that he's looking for, more on that in just a second, he is determined to destroy it. It's inevitable. Nothing that's opposed to God will ever last. God is going to destroy it. Even Israel in their big, beautiful temple that Herod had built for them. If they are not bearing fruit, God will destroy them. In a larger sense, it's not just Israel. In a larger sense, he's doing this to the whole world. This is the, this is the future, not just of Israel in Jesus' day, but of the whole world. Paul preaches a sermon to a bunch of philosophers in Athens in Acts chapter 17. And the last point of his sermon is this. The times of ignorance God overlooked. You guys didn't know about the gospel. God's been kind of nice to you up until now. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed today on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. God has planned a day when he's going to judge the whole world. It's going to be a good thing and a bad thing, both. But nobody's going to get away with anything at the end, people who are opposed to his, to, to, to his rule and reign. Second thing, though, no one's immune to this coming day of judgment, even the good guys. In verse 3 and verse 5 of, our, of the, the gospel reading, do you, uh, do, you know, do you think that you're better than them? No, Jesus says, verse 3, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Do you think, verse 4, that you are the, 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 
Uh, the people on whom the tower fell are worse offenders than uh, everybody else who was living? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. There's nothing good that will get you out of the coming judgment. And so we must all repent. We must all repent. More about repentance in just a second. Nobody gets out of this. The only way to escape the bad part of this judgment is to repent. And there is no good team which is exempt from this. Now, I just said total Christian cliches. Like, oh, everybody's a sinner. Yes, yes, we all need to repent. Yes, okay, that's good. Uh, very, very interesting, which we all mean it's not very interesting. I already knew that. But actually, we don't feel like that. None of us feel like that. All of us, every single one of us in here, feels deep down inside that we are somehow on the team for whom this does not apply. I was talking to one of you this week about... Uh, there's a, a big, big famous leader in the evangelical world who uh, screwed up big time. And uh, several years ago, uh, a woman in his church came to their church leadership and said, uh, my husband is physically abusing me. It turns out he was physically and sexually abusing their kids. And, and the husband was a leader in the church, was a teacher in the church. And the church told her, you know, basically don't slander him, go back and, you know, be a good wife and, uh, uh, you, you know, don't, don't slander your husband like that. And, and at one point, when, when she made her complaints public, they basically made that public against her, inviting her to leave the church, inviting everybody in the church to, quote, treat her like an unbeliever. As it turns out, she's telling the truth. Here's, here's two, two remarkable things, is that the leaders of that church have yet to apologize and say, we were wrong. But what was remarkable, and, and the the, the, the person here who was talking to me about this this week was pointing out, what's remarkable is all the fanboys of this famous Christian leader are rushing to his defense. Now, what is it about us that says our side is okay? And when our side is called on stuff, now I'm not on that side, but my side has issues too, whatever my side is. You know, I, I have political sides and I have religious sides and I have, you know, family sides and I have sports team sides and hobby sides and everything. What is it about me that whenever those are called into, you know, challenged for their weaknesses and for their sin, my first move is to defend them? What is it about us that needs this challenging? Aaron, do you think that you're better than all the rest of them? No. Unless you repent, you'll likewise pray. So here's a test for you. Okay, don't pretend like you haven't heard uh, any of this sermon so far, which will be easy for some of you, I can tell. Uh, so pay attention. If I come to you and I say to you, okay, tell me, Give me your elevator pitch. What is wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world? If your first answer is, well, the, they, the, the world just doesn't understand this, and it's something that you understand, but you want the world to understand, and they don't understand, or everybody, everybody thinks and acts like this today, and it's not a way that you think and act, but it's the way that you can see that the other people think. It, if that's your first answer and your first answer to the question, what's wrong with the world today, isn't Aaron Miller, not for you, maybe it will be for you. For me, it's Aaron Miller. For you, it'll be whoever you are. If your first answer isn't me, then this text is for you. Unless you repent, Aaron, you will likewise perish. You're not on the good team. It's like, the, the, you know, uh, uh, Joshua meets the angel of the Lord outside the gates of Jericho, and uh, Joshua meets this guy, and he knows that he's not a Jew. He's not, a, he's not an Israeli. And so he says to this, the, the, the commander of the army of the Lord, he says, who are you? And the, and the angel says, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And 
the, 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 uh, Joshua says, are you on our side or are you on our enemy's side? And the commander of the army of the Lord simply says, no, I'm not on a side. Jesus doesn't belong to the Lutherans. Jesus stands over in judgment against the Lutherans and against everybody else. I'm not picking on us. Unless we repent, we shall likewise perish. There's no good team that's going to get you out of that at the end. No one is immune from this coming day of judgment, not even us good guys. Third, the only possible response to the day of judgment, and I've already said this a couple times, is repentance. But let's talk about what repentance is. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So what does repentance mean? Does it mean give up your private sins, which you're struggling with, and resolve not to do them any longer? No, that's good if you do that, but that's not, by and large, that's not what Jesus means by repentance. So listen, I'm not telling you that you can hold on to your private sins. I'm just saying that's not Jesus' point. After all, the people that you're talking to are major league good people. In terms of like personal morality, like they put the rest of us to shame. Right? These are the people that throw rocks at people who moon them. Like these are pretty moral people. This is, like the, this is like the moral majority. This is the high class good people. Jesus isn't telling them to stop. Do, he, already, he already told them, do whatever the Pharisees do. Or, you know, believe what they teach, just don't, do, just don't do what they do. He's, these are people that are like good, good people. The problem with them is not that they're doing a lot of bad things. The problem with them is that they haven't repented. So what does this mean? Repentance then must not be give up your private sins. Those things that you're ashamed of, those things that you struggle with, and you're like, I'm going to stop doing that this week. And then you're like, no, nah, man, I lost my temper, whatever it is. He's not saying give up. He, it's, this is a much bigger picture thing. He is saying your whole way of life, as good as it is, as bad as it is, is oriented towards we've got to get rid of Rome and set up the free nation of Israel again. That's your whole agenda. And Jesus is calling them to turn away from that way of being Israel and trust him for his way of being Israel. And that's what he's doing. When, he, when he's calling us to repentance here, uh, look, whatever you're struggling with, like you and I, we need each other's help to get over that. But our larger problem is that we're not repentant. Our larger problem is that we believe that there's a certain thing that's going to make us happy and satisfied. And I've talked about this a lot in here. It's not the main point of the sermon, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But whatever that thing is, whatever your idol is, whatever your God is, whatever thing that you need the real God to get you to, like, God, I'll believe in you. Like, please help me get that job, job promotion, and I'll, you know, and I'll give more money to the church, or I'll go to church every week for the next two months, or like, I promise I'll believe in you and have my devotions every day. That thing that we're using God to get to is actually our God. It's the thing that we are, we're orienting our life around. Romantic happiness or career fulfillment or getting respect from other people. And what Jesus is saying is, like, you know, don't stop, you know, so, so example. Like, let's say for, for some of you, I know this is the case, your whole life is oriented around, like, career success. And you hear Jesus say, repent, and you're like, you know what? I need to spend more time with my spouse. Okay, I'm going to work on that. And Jesus ain't talking about that. That's important. So there's time for that. What Jesus is talking about is this massive thing that steers the ship of your life. That's what needs to get replaced. To turn away from what you and I believe is the proper way to be human, the thing that's going to make sense of us, the thing that's going to give us identity, the thing that's going to give us purpose, to turn away from that and to trust Jesus for his way of being human, that's what repentance is. 
Everything else, you know, the, the fact that you lie or, you know, or you, you lose your temper or, you know, you, sometimes you steal pencils at work, whatever it is, all that sort of thing is going to work itself out from that. The ship needs to be turned around. The sh- it's not just that, the, it's not just that the, the deck needs to be scrubbed once again. The entire ship needs to be turned around. And that's what he's telling them. Stop being Israel your way and start being Israel my way. And that's what Jesus is saying to you today. For, for, let's forget about your individual sins right now. Trust Jesus for his way of being human. That's what repentance is. Now, what does this mean at the very end? And I, and I just love this, verses eight and nine. Because uh, honestly, if, for those of you who are sensitive to this, you've already felt the weight. For those of you who uh, maybe you haven't felt the weight because you don't struggle with this too much, like this has been super, super law heavy so far. Jesus is saying, change your ways or you're doomed. But how does he end this story? It's really kind of beautiful. Verses, uh, well, um, let's just read verses eight and nine because we've already read this a couple times. Uh, the, the owner comes to him and says, hey, just get rid of this fig tree. It's not bearing any, anything at all. And the gardener says to him, sir, let alone this year until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. In the final analysis here, Jesus stops his directions that they repent and does two things here at the end of the story. There's two really, really cool things at the end of the story. First of all, he explains why it is that they have not yet experienced judgment. You think that you're good. You think that you're better than those Galileans or those people in Jerusalem on whom the tower fell. You think that you're good and you're okay because nothing bad has happened to you. But honestly, the only reason nothing bad has happened to you yet is because God is giving you time to repent and turn to him. God is being merciful. It's it's not that God has just not noticed you or he's noticed you and been like, oh, wow, these really good people, I'm not gonna let Pilate kill them. That's not what he's doing. He's actually giving you space to repent. Peter discusses this in 2 Peter 3. There's people who say, oh, you all say that Jesus is gonna come back and rule and reign someday, but he's not coming back, so... Does he just not care or is he just not, maybe just not even there? And Peter says in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, he says, you know, Jesus isn't lax as some people count laxness, but he's long-suffering and merciful and he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and he's giving us space. The second thing is this, and this is my favorite part of the sermon. This is the part I want you to remember because I think this is good stuff. Jesus doesn't end the story with the command to repent. He ends the story Did you get this? He ends the story by putting the onus on himself to make it happen. He says, you guys have to repent. And he says, hold up a second. God looks down and sees you're unrepentant. And he's determined to judge this. I am begging him to give me one more year with you guys. One more year. Let me aerate this plant. Let me put fertilizer on this plant because I can make this happen. At the end of the day, it doesn't end up so really try to repent this week. It ends up with you have an advocate. You have a gardener who's determined to make you grow. Do you need to repent? Yes. Can you repent? This is the fruit that God wants is repentance and faith. Can you repent this morning? The answer is no. You can't. Plants don't do that. If you're like, so let's, let's say you're driving by somebody who's got like, let's say you go over, there's several, in you, several of you in here who have like these magnificent like people come and visit your garden type gardens. Like if you're walking through the, the garden of the person here who has the magnificent garden and you're walking through there, do you walk through that garden and say, holy cow, these plants are doing a great job. 
It looks great in here. No, no, you know what you do? You're like, hey, Debbie, hey, Lena, this looks fantastic in here. This is amazing. You know why? Because you know that the garden doesn't grow itself. Like Jesus is standing at the garden and saying, bear fruit. It doesn't work until Jesus actually gets down and does the garden. This is the way, I mean, this is the way we, we all know this is true, right? Like if, if, if Angela makes like this really, really incredible Indian food for dinner, I, I'm not like, wow, it's amazing. This pork is really, it's amazing how great pork tastes. That's not the point. The point is that Angela took the pork and put all these different kinds of spices in it, and now it tastes amazing. Like, you know, pigs don't just naturally taste great. You're not supposed to eat them like that. Somebody has to prepare them. It's, you, you know, look at a, look at a beautiful, beautiful piece of art, and nobody ever goes to the art museum and is like, it is amazing. The, the, the chemical qualities of paint are just amazing, you know? At some point, this paint decided to, like, create this wonderful paint. You don't ever say that. You, like, praise, you know, Degas or Matisse or whoever it is, that, the, the painting that you're looking at, because we all know that it, only the artist can create art. Only the chef can create beautiful dinners. Only the gardener can make the plants grow. And Jesus ends this story by saying, I'm the gardener, I'm determined to make you grow. God is gonna give me time with you and I'm gonna aerate you and I'm gonna put a fertilizer on you and you are gonna bear the fruit of repentance and faith. It's one of the wonderful things, I'm just wrapping up here right now. It's one of the wonderful things about communion, isn't it? You don't have to do anything. You're gonna come to the rail in just a few minutes. There's absolutely nothing that you have to do. You, just, you don't have to think anything. You don't have to feel anything. It's great if you do, but you don't have to. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to be anyway. God is just gonna like pump himself into you. He's about to fertilize you with himself in just a few minutes. He's about to give you himself. And as he's doing that, he's creating the repentance and faith that he himself commands, but knows that only he can give. And he's determined to do that for all of us. All right, stand with me and let's pray. Then we'll have communion together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us and for being so good to us and for all the gifts that you give us and just how you wonderfully command repentance because it's right and because it's good. But the fact that you give repentance, that you give it as a free gift, that you give faith as a free gift, that you command the fruit, but then you grow the fruit. And Father, you know how desperately we're longing for you to grow this fruit that we're not capable of like turning the ship around. We're not capable of making ourselves more believers of you, that we need you to tend this garden, Father. And we know that you're doing it. We know, we're no, we know that you're doing it with your word and sacrament. We're not giving anybody else the praise, especially ourselves. We're totally giving you the praise this morning. Lord, in your mercy. Father, be with all of us who need, feel the need of repentance, who feel heavily our lack of faith. Will you give yourself to us, Lord, uh, you, you know that we want you. You know that we need you. And even people in here, Father, who I know are struggling right now, and maybe people in here who maybe even describe themselves as agnostic or uh, completely psychologically or mentally or intellectually distant from you, even, the, even those people are craving you right now, God. If you're real, would you give us yourself? Would you allow us to feed on you? Lord, in your mercy. Be with all who struggle with sickness and with uh, relational brokenness, and with financial concerns, and uh, spiritual and psychological and social concerns. Would you heal all of us, Father? Would you do your good work of making our bodies and our souls and our minds and our relationships and our bank accounts new and fresh? Not so 
not so that we would learn to trust in ourselves, Lord, but so through the praise which you will rightly receive for doing those things, we would learn afresh to trust in you more and more. Lord, in your mercy. We thank you for, uh, Father, we thank you for the good medical procedure that Charlie Wolf underwent this week and for keeping him safe and for um, allowing that to be successful. We pray especially this morning, Father, we give you thanks and praise for the birth of Winston Rapp to David and Paula and pray that uh, you would bring him uh, quickly to the waters of baptism and that uh, you would allow him to grow up and never ever know a moment in time when he's not completely aware that you, you through your son are the Lord of the universe and that you desperately and infinitely and unconditionally love him. Lord, in your mercy. We pray all these things because you are the good God, because you are the gardener, because you have sent your son Jesus to do for us what you commanded us to do, but we could never do for ourselves. And so we got nothing in our hands, God, except for praise. We have nothing in our hands except for just pleas for mercy and delight in being your children. And so we always, always and ever pray our prayers, all of our prayers, including this one, in the name of our brother Jesus, amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, O Lord our God, King of all creation, for you've had mercy on us and given your only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Grant us your spirit, gracious Father, that we may give heed to the testament of your Son in true faith, and above all, firmly take to heart the words with which Christ gives to us his body and blood for our forgiveness. By your grace, lead us to remember and give thanks for the boundless love which he manifested to us when, by pouring out his precious blood, he saved us from your righteous wrath and from sin, death, and hell. Grant that we may receive the bread and wine, that is, his body and blood as a gift, guarantee and pledge of his salvation. Graciously receive our prayers, deliver and preserve us. To you alone, O Father, be all glory, honor, and worship with the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray in Jesus' name the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
Now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen.
Let us bless the Lord. Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Make sure you look around and find somebody you haven't talked to in a while or ever and build that relationship. Go in peace.